Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast, where each week we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. It, oh, I didn't even turn my light on. I know y'all can't see me now. I hate it when other people don't have lights on. There we go. We're fixed. All right, folks. See that? Randomly just doing shit. So back to where I was supposed to be at. So welcome back. It is October 25th. It's almost Halloween. Uh, there was something else that was significant about today, and I can't remember what it was, but it don't matter. But joining us, look. Most of the football teams up there where this guy's from, I'm just going to say it now, they suck. It's nothing personal. He is way taller than I am, though, because he played, in the, in the, he, he played college ball. I'm only five, five foot eight. That's what I tell everyone. It's five, seven and a half. But, you know, and he's, you know, he's probably a pretty good shot. But we're not here to talk about any of those things. Joining us from all the way in OH10, that's Ohio, if you didn't know that, folks, we have with us Mr. Terry, oh, I almost, almost forgot this for you, Terry, Mr. Terry Tucker. Sean, thanks for having me on. I'm a Ravens fan, if you didn't notice that. So <laughs> you got Bengals and the Browns up there, I can't give, but you're not a Steelers fan, at least, I hope, I hope. Well, see, well, I, I, I was a policeman in Cincinnati. But I live in Denver right now. Oh, oh, that well. See, when you called me, I saw the Ohio number, so yeah, I was thinking, yeah. yeah. See, but hey, I'm know. a Buckeye fan. Come on, I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, I I'll give you that. I have a Buckeye. My wife, uh, my wife does transportation, and she did a big conference out there uh, at what is that, uh, Columbus, mm-hmm. for the where that is, and, and so she came home with a, a nice Buckeyes tumbler, okay. and I was nice. And I have a friend that lives that I grew up with in Baltimore. He's out there in uh, Columbus now. But you know, I'll give you guys that. You know, we'll give you that. And uh, he did whoop University of Maryland's ass the other day. Um, and I'm a big Terps fan growing up there. So. At hurt though, but I mean, the Terps still. God, we used to be such a horrible football program. We get like a player here and a player there that was amazing, like uh, AJ and Stefan Diggs, and then you know Jermaine Lewis. You'd have guys like that, and then all of a sudden. It'd be like the rest of this team just sucks. Like, how did you even get here? But nonetheless, we're going to be talking to Terry about uh, his his uh, his website, motivational check, his books that he's got out, all the things that got him to this point. But before we get to that part, let's go ahead and get some house cleaning done. So the first thing, as always, every week, folks, we got sticker in a car. It's the big board over over my right shoulder. It's always funny trying to do this, like because it's backwards when I'm doing things. Uh, the big board for sticker and a cause. So if you know somebody who's got something, they're looking for your support. Maybe they've got their own podcast. Maybe they've got their own website, a band. I don't care what it is. Reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, X, uh, because it's not Twitter anymore. It's X, all the different websites that are out there. Even our emails, the above the bar podcast, you reach out to me, let me know what they've got going on. I'll tell you where to send the sticker. You send me you send me out the sticker and I read about it live here on the air. They get a little bit of publicity. And if you think like, ah, why that show? Well, we're not the biggest show in the world, but we do have about eleven hundred people on Instagram, twelve hundred people on 
Facebook and then probably, I don't know, I got like a couple thousand on LinkedIn. So it'll get out there, folks. It'll happen. So go ahead and send it out to us. But now our sponsors, Terry, you know, could could carry a product that would be important for you. It gets pretty cold in, in Denver, right? It does. So have you ever heard of budget blinds? I have not. So Budget Blinds, we have, they're all over the country. We just happen to be sponsored by Budget Blinds of East Greenbush and Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. They are, been around for 30 years and they are your window treatment specialist. What's up, Eric? They are your window treatment specialty company. Absolutely amazing. They carry everything and anything. And now just announced this year, two of the companies that they work with, Hunter Douglas and Custom Brands Group are actually considered as energy efficient products so you can get up to twelve hundred dollars off as an energy credit when you buy honeycomb shades you could probably use those up in denver where it's good and cold absolutely so you have that as an opportunity and then while coming up here in the month of november for budget blinds of east greenbush and budget blinds of hudson and Cooksaki, new york they are doing their triple 50 sale now what that is folks if you're looking to purchase, they're going to give you 50% off of one window, 50% off of your installation, and 50% off of your shipping costs as a pre-Black Friday sale. So make sure you're reaching out to Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. They will be happy to take care of you. All right, Eric. All or Eric. Terry, all the uh, – Eric's a buddy of mine who just popped up. All the house cleaning is done. I do have to do this real quick. So, Eric, remind me. I have to send you – this Polynesian sauce that I just found. We do a lot of eating around here, Terry. I just found this Polynesian sauce at my grocery store. And you know, it's some old school stuff because it looks like the label hasn't been changed since like 1947. It, and it's like straight up. Look, Eric, Eric's like, heck yes. So Eric, I found this sauce, Terry. I'm going to dime this before we get into your thing. It's the simplest recipe I've ever seen in my life. The recipe goes, buy your short ribs or whatever ribs. I buy country-style pork ribs. Lay them in a pan. Pour the sauce over top of them. Make sure you get it on all sides of it. 350 for an hour and a half. Make sure you're flipping often. Like it says, it says to baste it. I just flip them every 10 minutes. Dude, they're absolutely insane good. And, and, it's, and they're super, super sweet because it's Polynesian sauce. Yeah. That's like pineapple. So there you go, Eric. I'll have to send you a picture of the bottle and you can make those. Eric and I like swap cooking recipes all the time, all the time. So you gotta send it. So, all right, Mr. Terry. So let's make sure I got this right. So played ball NCAA division one. Yes. Who'd you play for? The Citadel. Okay. I mean, the Citadel, I mean, not the Naval Academy, but I got it. I My daughter played for the Air Force Academy. I mean, okay, look, I mean, I get it. I mean, I'll go with that. We were then uh, Cincinnati cop. Yep. SWAT in Cincinnati. Yep. And a cancer survivor. Well, more of a warrior. Still have the cancer. Okay, so so cancer warrior. I like it. Not that you have cancer, but I like the your warrior. I like the terminology. Right. So did I miss anything? <laughs> I mean, and and you wrote how many books are we up to? One or two? I, I've written one. I am working on a second one right now. Okay, I I thought there was a second one. I knew I wasn't losing my mind. Nope. So two books, 
and you run the website motivationalcheck.com. Correct. Am I missing anything? Are are we are we you know are we trying to take over for Mother Teresa at some point? You know, feeding feeding starving children, anything like that. You noticed the halo. I'm sure that's what got you there, right? With that. There we go. Uh, Eric says, "Back the blue, wishing you for a speedy recovery, Terry." Thank you. There we go. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. So, so I'm not missing anything, right? Uh, you're not missing anything that is all that important. I mean, I've had you know my first job out of college. I, I worked for Wendy's, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. Uh, then I was a hospital administrator, and then I made that that pivot to law enforcement. I was a 37 year old rookie police officer, which let's be honest, is pretty old to be getting into that line of work. You think? Uh, yeah, I coach girls high school basketball. Boy, we could go. We could probably spend an hour on that. So, uh, yeah, you're well, good. My, my oldest daughter played uh, for Sage and won the was on the girls basketball state championship for New York. Congratulations! That's super. Yep. I, on the other hand, do not play basketball. <laughs> I am not that person. I am five seven and a half. She is six foot tall. I am not that person. Well, that's like my daughter. My, my daughter's six foot two and her husband's five foot eight. Just winning short guys. <laughs> short guys for the win. That's awesome. So, so a super guy. So tell me a little bit about like, so, so through all these different journeys, you know, we, we get to where we're at now, you know, why, you know, 37 years old, why leave the police department? I mean, why even, you know, you're there, you might as well stick it out. What made you leave the police department? My my wife. My wife has always been the primary breadwinner. I married up, she married down. So, you know, you, you know, it was, she lost her job in Cincinnati, was not able to find another one, found one in Houston, Texas. Nice. So off we went to Houston and I started a school security consulting business while I was there. Now, was this, so I'm going to assume this is post Columbine then. Yes. Yes. Okay. Which is a whole conversation in itself. When you actually explain that really what happened there to people. And they're like, really? The security guard was armed. Yes. Yes, he was. And they go, I didn't know that. I'm like, no, you didn't. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. that always mind boggles people. When you explain that to them, they're like, arm everyone in the school. Great idea. Did you know the guy in Columbine was armed? They're like, Huh? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, as you know, being a Marine, you know, shooting is an appreciable skill. I mean, if you don't practice it, you're not good at it. And so you need to practice that. And if you're uncomfortable with weapons, then by all means, do not carry a weapon. Yeah, please don't. Yes. You know, I'm I'm a left turn for a minute, folks. I'm of the mindset, like, I'm a pretty big Second Amendment guy. Like, hey, I got my... But I'm also the guy that goes, listen, you mouth breather. You do not need a gun. That's my ride. I can have a hundred of them. Listen to me. You can't reach your waist. Why are we, <laughs> why are we giving you a firearm? You can't touch. You haven't seen your kneecaps in 25 years. Let's not do this. Yeah. yeah. Like there, there's something to be said about it, but nonetheless, uh, so, so you're out there in Houston, which is definitely a city I want to go to. Again, food. Uh, I want to try Viet Cajun so bad. I want to try Viet Cajun, and I've never had it, and I hear great things about it. So, how do we get from down in Houston now back up to Denver? 
again, my wife's job. Uh, she went to work for a, a, a large money management company called Janice. Uh, we've been here for about 12 years now. Janice got bought out and she and a couple people in the fixed income side of Janice started their own company and they've been at it for about five years now. So I really haven't, I've had cancer for 11 and a half years. I really have not worked, although I, I kind of consider stuff like this and writing books and stuff like that work, but I haven't, you know, gone, gone to a job, so to speak, since I, since I developed my cancer. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I hope to never have a real job again. <laughs> like, cause real jobs really suck. Yes, they do. It's, they, it's nice being your own boss, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. When you, when you take over your own stuff and you realize like, man, for a long time, I kept saying these guys were dumb. And then you're like, I was right. They really were. And you're like, man, that's so cool. I Cause it feels good to be right. I don't care what nobody says. So well, it feels good to be your own boss. I mean, you know, I, I had this school security consulting business, but I also coached girls high school basketball. So I could sort of, you know, ramp the business up in the off season and then kind of put it to bed a little bit during the basketball season. And it was, it was great. I got to coach my daughter in high school, which that is definitely a double-edged sword. There were, there were a couple nights where you need to go home with your mother. Otherwise I'll probably say something. <laughs> you might want to go home with mom. But yeah, dad, go home with mom. Don't go home with dad. I love you. I want to keep loving you. And I yes. want to keep loving me. Please go home with your mother. I don't even understand. I get it completely. Yeah. That was that was uh my oldest my oldest son who played football. That was me. Like, son, you go home with mom. But that just <laughs> that way. Yeah. yeah, I I understand completely. So, so through your journey, you I mean, you've created through this, you know, your book, which is sustainable excellence: ten principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. Did I get the whole title right? You did. All right. Because let me say it one more time, folks. Mouthful. Sustainable excellence, 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life. And through that, though, you 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 provide folks with your your four guiding truths, your core values that you're working with. And, and you've created your mission also that about, you know, getting, you know, make, making sure you're reaching your achievements, you know, an uplifting lives. But but when you were creating all this and I'm very curious cause I, you, you can, you can pick on me in a minute there, Terry. <laughs> I'm not a motivation person. And, and I, I really year, years and years of hearing like, you gotta get motivated. I, I believe motivation fades. You got to get obsession in your, in your story. How do you approach motivation to, to help people? Cause your website, motivationalcheck.com. You know, just it's spelled just like it sounds, folks. How do you how do you keep that motivation or how did you come up with, hey, this is how we're going to do this? I mean, that's a great question. And I, I totally 100 percent agree with you. Motivation is not enough. I, I kind of I, I look at it as if you have motivation, but you don't have discipline and you don't have good habits. It doesn't matter what you do. You can have all the motivation in the world. You're, you're not going to get to where you need to be. Just like if you have motivation, but good habits, but not the discipline to implement those habits, you're not going to get to where you want to be. I always kind of look at those three as a three-legged stool. If, if any one of those legs is gone, 
the, the stool is wobbly, you're going to tip over and not get to where you want to be. So absolutely motivation is important, but that comes from you. That comes from you saying, this is, I'm committed to this. And, and I love your word obsession. Um, I think that was the perfume I got my wife for Christmas. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, I mean, you need this. It's got to come from you. You're not going to get motivation from anybody else. No. But you've got to have the other things with it. And if you don't have those, and I think that's, I mean, we're all talking, you know, everybody's motivated. You got to get motivated. You got to move. Yeah, you got to get motivated, but you've got to be disciplined to say, I was reading a, an article that said 33% of Americans hit the snooze button three times every morning. <laughs> I only hit it once. I hit it once every morning. I have a routine with it. I really do. It goes off at six. Then at 6.09, at 6.09, I get out of the bed. Yeah. I, I It's not surprising. And Erica, exactly. Easier to self-motivate than to get motivation from another person. Right. But that goes back to and, and I'd love to hear your feelings on this one. I was just having this conversation with my oldest son. Um, he was talking about trying to help a friend out. And I said, well, look, man, you can help your buddy out. I said, but you can't want it more for him than he wants it for himself. And how does that fall, you know, uh, that type of a theory with what you've got going, going on with your book and everything. And, and I love, I, I got to tell you your four truth, the dominance of, of the conscious mind, transformative power of pain, the everlasting impact we leave on others and the undying spirit of never giving up. Understanding what I just said, do you see, like, I see a correlation between the two. Because I can have all your four truths, but I can't give somebody those four truths. No, you have you have to internalize that stuff. It, it's it's got to come from your heart. It, it's got to come from your soul. And I think, especially, and, and I'm I'm probably going to take some heat from this, but especially with younger people, you know, I think younger people are soft, and they aren't willing. You know, and, and when I speak to groups, especially young people, I always tell them this. If there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be those things you did. They're going to be those things that you didn't do. I mean, then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. But but we don't. You know, our, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the, the status quo, the way things are right now, hey, it's comfortable and familiar and just just leave it alone. But you know this. If you don't step outside your comfort zone, and I used to constantly tell my players when I was coaching basketball, you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, I always changed up practice. I made things different. I made things harder. I wanted practices to be harder than the games. If you can survive my practices, games are going to be a piece of cake. But it's getting kids, especially younger kids, to understand the value of that. And, and being in the Marine Corps, is it's the same thing that I learned being, you know, playing basketball from the time I was nine to the time I graduated from college at 21 was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Absolutely. You realize that on a team, if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game we all play is this game of life. 100% agree with everything <laughs> you're saying. I 
I talk about the and I'll tell you which of your four truths ring the truest with me is the transformative power of pain. Mm-hmm. I, I and, and it's funny you were talking about uh, the a younger generation, and I completely blame us. Oh, absolutely, totally. I, yes, like when 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 people of of a certain age group, I'm 47, from about my age up. When I hear people are like, these younger people, they don't know what to do. They're just soft. I'm like, um, I grew up in East Baltimore. I didn't want my kids to grow up where I grew up at. So I did better to provide them with more. Just because they're living that more better situation. And then I look at them and go, you need to get hard, kid. That's not his fault. That's not her fault. I provided them with that world because I didn't want them in this world. And I think that's so hard for us to understand is we've taken that pain point out of things for them. We, I, we have, you're absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my, our daughter started playing YMCA basketball and, you know, it, it was literally understand the game, learn the rules. It, it, I mean, you know, the kids didn't have enough, upper body strength to get the ball to the rim. I mean, it, nobody scored, you know, but at the end of the season, they're like, okay, everybody gather around and uh, okay, here's your trophy. And I'm like, trophy? Mom and dad should get a trophy for getting your butt to the, you know, to the right. court every day. What do you get a trophy for? You didn't win anything. I took the trophy and put it in the garbage. And Stupid. I'll tell you another quick story. Our daughter was bullied when she was in middle school. And she wore glasses at the time. Some kid threw a ball at her head, you know, broke her glasses on. And, you know, as a dad, you, you want to go there and like pummel the kid. But, you know, we kind of stepped back. It was like, do you want us to get involved? And even in middle school, our daughter was like, no, I'll take care of it. I'm like, okay, Good. Well, all right, you take care of it. I, I, I would love to be that helicopter parent, but you're going to learn more about yourself and how to deal with people than if mom and dad come in and solve this problem for you. So you take care of this problem. And again, as long as you're not physically in danger, right. in some way, you know, so. But that's that pain point. And I love the way you're presenting it. So you, you've understood that and you, you've brought that even to your kids to be able to say, Hey, look, you have to have a little bit of that pain in your life. Diamonds are made through pressure, yeah. you know, and that there's that saying diamonds are made through pressure. You know, you look at anybody who's successful, you know, whether it be a physical athlete or, you know, millions and billionaires, there was some pain point to get them. Trust me, you know, we can all talk shit on Jeff Bezos all you want, but I promise you that dude didn't wake up and go, richest man on the planet. Yeah. Like he started that in his garage. He borrowed, he, he had to ask people like, Hey man, I got this great idea. Can you give me 50 grand? Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't today imagine going to my mom and be like, Mom, I got this amazing idea. 50 grand. It, it's I, I love I love your truth. Now I gotta ask this though. How did you come up with your truths? Well, the the short and funny answer is that I was on a podcast that was originally your three truths, and I was like, holy cow, I better come up with my three truths. And, and, and that's how that's literally how it started. And, you know, I mean, we, we like things in threes, you know, ABC, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you know, that yeah. we like threes. But I just felt so compelled with that legacy truth, you know, of, you know, of what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people that 
I, I had a, I'm like, no, there's four. There, there's four for me. And, and so I, I, I mean, it wasn't just, I threw something down. It was what, what do I believe? What are my, what are my values? What, what is important to me? What is unshakable? And I know that it's something that in my life I've had to either deal with, overcome, whether I was a kid. I mean, I, I had three knee surgeries in high school and still went on to play division one college basketball. And the first two knee surgeries were, there was no arthroscopic surgery available then. So it was, you know, mm -hmm. I got the big zipper on the outside of my knee. And so what did I overcome? And I remember when I went back playing basketball, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower since these surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember having to say at like 15 years old, no, I'm still playing at an elite level and college coaches are still reaching out about playing for their college or university. I had to change the narrative. I had to turn that around to something positive. But I learned that when I was a kid. I didn't wait until I was, you know, in my 50s. And, oh, crap, I've, I've got to change my mindset. Mindset is the key. It controls everything. There was a, it was a, I'm going to date myself now, 1976. Right. It was our country's bicentennial celebration. It was also my 16th birthday. That's the year I was born. Was it really? See, now, see, I'm feeling old. So... <laughs> There was a, a gold, U.S. gold medal winning Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishaw, but one of the greatest quotes that I ever heard. And this is what she said. Winners think about what they want to happen. Losers think about what they don't want to happen. And I think that is such it's such an easy thing. It's like, what do you want to happen? Make that happen. Override your negative brain and see the value. As opposed to the negative people, I can't override that negative brain. I can't see the value of pursuing a goal or a dream. You have to control your mind. If you can't, none of the rest of this is gonna is gonna matter. I mean, yeah. I played basketball in Chicago. Bobby Knight was the basketball coach in Indiana when when I was growing up. And Knight used to have a saying that went, "Mental is to physical as four is to one." So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes you know, to use their bodies to be great basketball players on the court. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important to your overall success than anything your physical body is going to do. I, I would, I would agree with all that. Every, every bit of that now. And Shane, another good friend of mine, you're absolutely right. Shane, embrace the suck. It, you got to embrace the suck. So, so, you you put these things together and what now then what comes first is it this all you know we're building our truths we're coming up with our core values we've got our mission does that come first or does the book come first the, the book came first all right so so tell me a little bit about the book because i mean again for and that's available on your website correct yeah, it's available anywhere you can get a book online. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple okay. iBooks. Yeah, but it is available on my website as well. Audio, yes. audio version? Yes, no. Audio? Yes. No. I don't have an audio version. That was going to be another twenty six hundred bucks, and I didn't have that money. So. You could do it yourself. You just be like, you just read it yourself. You can. The problem is, if you want to sell it on something like Amazon or something like that, they have very strict specifications. You can't just sit in your bedroom and read it. You have to be in a studio and you have to have a certain kind of sound quality. Because believe me, I, I thought about it. I, I I wanted to do it. And, and, I, and I may someday. But Derek, listen, right to, listen to this voice. I can read your book. 
What would you like me to say on there? You need to embrace the suck. I can just read your book just like this the entire time. But no, but so, so the book comes first and, and where was your, so we've talked about it a hundred times on here. I've got a book sitting on, on one of my computers on this computer that I can tell you the whole story, but I've never been able to finish it. That motivation that got up and just go do it. I don't have it for it. I, I had it when I started the idea. Where did you get it to, to write the book, to get into that, to, to make that happen for you? So the book was really born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who moved to Colorado with her fiance near my wife and I, and the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was really excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me from college on social media. And he said, what do you think are the most important things I should learn, not to just be successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life? And Sean, I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I, I didn't want to give him the sort of cliches. Old ladies across the Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't want to do that. And so I, I spent some time and I, I was taking notes. And eventually I had these, these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle. Or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So I had my leg amputated in 2020. And while I had that three to four month period where I was healing, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath the principles. And that's how the book came to be. That's wild, brother. So, so never in any of your bio stuff did I see a missing leg. I missed that. I, I, I had a foot amputated in 18 and then I had the leg amputated during COVID. So you just, throw, and I love how you just throw it out there. Like, eh, like, yeah, like, eh, like, I, I, I listen to Ford a little bit, but other than that, I think I'm good. I'm bad throwing it out there. Like, <laughs> like, bro, like you ain't, you are the most nonchalant 11 years, cancer, lose a leg person I've ever met in my life. Terry, you are a walking, like, just you exude, but with all that, I, I mean, folks, if you're not watching the live right now, make sure you, you download the live. Terry's got a big old grin on his face. He's a happy dude. I mean, the bangle stock, but he's a happy dude. And I mean, he's over here just, I mean, brother. So now, now this purpose piece, I, I believe in a purposeful life. I, I truly believe it. And I've always believed that you know, since the youngest that I ever was, my mother's always said, God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Yep. I've always your mother must know my mother. So yeah. Maybe it's a generational thing. Yeah. But my mom's always said, God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. And God gives you a purpose. Now you can ignore that purpose. You can think it's a load of BS and that you're not paying attention to it. But for you, obviously, this you've discovered this is your purpose to get this word, to get this information, to get this out to people. But for some, 
I think it's hard to accept that purpose. They might like buck against it. Like, I don't want that purpose. I want, I want to be the Hollywood movie star. I, I don't want to be, you know, the engineer. I want to be the Hollywood movie star. How do you talk to people about, I don't want to say accept their purpose, but to understand their purpose. Maybe that's a little bit better to understand their purpose. I, I, I'll tell you two quick stories. One, uh, I think you're old enough to remember Fred McFeely Rogers, Mr. Rogers, yes, Mr. Rogers, yes, Mr. Rogers on his television show, educated so many young people, including me when, when I was growing up in 2003, when Fred Rogers died, his family was going through his effects and they found his wallet and inside his wallet, was a scrap piece of paper on which Mr. Rogers had written four simple words. Life is for service. And I think that's, I guess the way I look at it, Sean, is like this. So many people think that they are born empty and that when they get out of school or out of the military or whatever they do, and they sort of get into life, their job is then to fill themselves up. I got to get a great education. I got to have a good job, make a lot of money, drive the nicest car, have the greatest family, live in the greatest house. And what I found is it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We are born full. We are born with everything we need to be successful inside of us. We just need to find it, pull it out and use it for our benefit. So it shouldn't be what I can get. Your purpose in life should be not getting stuff, but emptying yourself out with your unique gifts and talents, certainly for the betterment of yourself, but also for the betterment of your family, of your friends, of your community, of your country. And I find people that are givers are much happier than those people who, I want to be famous. I want to be a movie star. I want to have a lot of money. You know what? At the end of the day, you're going to be in the same grave, the same grave space as the guy, the homeless guy out on the street. So think about not what you can get, but think about what you can give. Well, that's, you know, it's funny you you say that. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. He talks about that his poor dad would say things like, well, I'll make a donation when I have the extra money. His rich dad would say, I'm going to give my tithing or my donation first. And then... I'll worry about everything else because it's going to come back to me. It's going to come. And, and folks, I'm not telling you like, hey, run down to your local convenient, convenient religious organization and go ahead and give them your money. What I'm saying is, is that idea of, hey, I'm, I'm starting to have, let me give. I'm starting to have, let me give. It always comes back every time, even, and it may not come back to you as just pure financial gains. Right. It may be, you know, hey, I gave a guy 20 bucks. He ate for the day and helped somebody else out in the meantime that it's a trick. It's, it's Reaganomics. It's trickle down. It's the, that trickle down effect. So, so, folks, I think that's what if I'm hearing you right, Terry, it's it's living that purposeful life is not just you don't have to be like, oh, well, my I'm not going to give everybody. I'm not just going to run out. No, your purpose is to help humanity. It's, I think that's truly the meaning of life. I don't know what your feelings are on that, but the meaning I of life is- great. I, and, and, and I think it's incumbent upon us to, to push that to the next generation. And I think that's kind of where we went off the rails, what we were talking about before. I, I mean, yeah. 
we coddle people. We know nothing bad can happen to you. You're only going to learn. You're only going to get better by doing hard things, by doing difficult things. I always, a great book by uh, Steve Magnus, who used to be the track and field coach at the University of Minnesota called Do Hard Things. And he talks about a study, and I don't remember if it was a professor or if it was a researcher, who took mostly young people, put them in a room, nothing in the room but a table and chair. They were not allowed to have any devices or anything like that. The only other thing in the room was a buzzer on the table. And if you press the buzzer, you received an electric shock. 68% of the men and 25% of the women shocked themselves, including one guy who shocked himself every five seconds for like the 20 minutes that they were in there, which told them people aren't comfortable with themselves. I mean, you know, we're talking about purpose and all these kind of big, grandiose things, and they're incredibly important, but you got to understand who you are. You got to know what your values are. You got to know what, what it's like to sit with yourself and just not necessarily meditate or pray or whatever. Let your mind go wherever it goes. Yeah. But we can't do that. We got to pick up that phone and say, oh, you know, Bob said that he didn't like the shirt I was wearing today. Oh, my God. my What a terrible day. Who gives a crap what Bob said? Why are you letting Bob rent space in your brain when he's never walked one minute in your shoes? Absolutely. And, and you know, and Eric, Eric's been hanging with us. He fixed the word have the gave. He gave a lady four bucks the other day so she could take the bus bus home that night. He said the smile on her face was worth more than four bucks. It, it, you know, it's. I've caught myself and it's funny that we're we've kind of gone to this part of purpose in life. I've caught myself, you know, roll the window up, you know, talk smack on the guy standing at the corner. If you can stand at that corner, you can go get a job. And I believe I'm I'm also going to tell you, I do believe those things, but I also, just like you said, Terry, I don't know how that guy got there. Right. You know, you don't know how he got there. You don't know what happened to get him there. And unless, unless you've got superpowers that you can mind read, you know what? Giving a dude a buck, you know, it, it ain't going to kill you. You know, I, I, now I will tell you, I do like the idea of, all right, go buy the guy a sandwich and drop it off. You used to do that at Penn Station all the time. See the guys walking around Penn Station and go grab an extra sandwich because they were two bucks and hand it to a guy. Go, there you go, man. You know, it's funny. We used to do that when, when my partner and I, you know, we would see somebody and, and we, you know, it's like, are you hungry? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's like, okay, well, stay here. We'll go and get you a sandwich, you know, a, a, yeah. a happy meal or whatever the heck you want. But stay here because when we come back, you got to be here in order for <laughs> only one time. And it was a mother and two kids who was homeless. She stayed. Everybody else was yeah, not all- when we came back. Well, that's the other side to it. They don't, you know, they, they've they been, I think a lot of them have been, you know, crapped on their whole lives. The, the idea that somebody is going to gonna actually be there or do that, you know, I need to keep moving or, you know, it's that shark's mindset. I got to keep moving. You know, I, I got to keep moving or I, I can't be right here. So what has been some of the reception to your book? Because the book's been out for how long now? Um, end of 2020. Okay, so we're we're so coming three, three years, years coming up on on three years here. What has been you know some of the reception to your book, or how is how have people been like? 
man, Terry, I didn't notice about you. Is there anything where people are like, hold on, brother? Like, I've known you for this long and I didn't notice. Yeah, my brother said that to me the other day. <laughs> so I, I didn't know you had that that happened to you. I'm like, what the heck? Where have you been? You're, you know, it's like, what do you mean you didn't know that? Uh, it, it the thing that really, it, as far as an author, so I've got ten principles, and each principle is a chapter. And when somebody reaches out, there's always one chapter that resonates with them. This is the one that that grabbed me. This is the one that, that touched my heart. And that's just a great opportunity to start a conversation. You know, well, why? Why, why did that one resonate with you? Tell me about your story. Tell me about your life. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. This used to drive my wife crazy. We, we would go to, you know, holiday parties or different parties. And, and before we, go, we would go in, I used to say to her, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to find five of your colleagues. And I'm going to ask them all kinds of stuff about themselves. And I'm going to come out after the party and I'm going to tell you all about, you know, Bob and Mary and Tom and John. Okay. And I said, and then Monday morning when you go to work, they're going to come up to you and say, oh my God, your husband is such a great guy. And they are not going to know one single thing about me. And I, and I would go in and we are narcissistic. We love talking about ourselves. And that's what I would do. I would go in and I would start, you know, talk. Hey, How'd you meet your wife? Where'd you go to school? Well, tell me about your kids. Da, 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 da. And then I'd go to the next person. They would never reciprocate. Well, where did you go to school, Terry? How did you meet Roberta? You know, I, they would never do that. And, and I used to get, okay, let me tell you about Tom. Oh, you didn't know this about Bob. You know, and it would just be hilarious. And then Monday morning, she'd go to work. She'd come home that night. She's like, yeah, everybody came up and said, what a great guy you are. And I said, did you ask him? Well, what, did you, what do you know about Terry? Mm, not much. But it's that it's for me, it's curiosity about people, which I think is what made me a good cop. You know, I, I want to be what, what happened to you? How did this happen? Where did we get to? You know, where do we get to this place? Just things like that. And people like to talk, especially when you ask them about yourself. So the, the book is just a catalyst for me to have conversations with people that buy it. I, I mean, are you recording any of these or writing any of these conversations down? No, not really. <laughs> They're just Harry. They're just personal to me. (laughs) Sound effects. I love it. (laughs) Terry, do you know how amazing what's your all right? Brainstorm for a minute. We're gonna brainstorm. You ready? We're brainstorming right now. I would love I would so find it interesting if you had a podcast and and it could be a pre-recorded where you give your book to somebody and they, you find people that want to be a guest, you give them your book, you let them read it. And that's how you tell if they want to really want to be a guest or not. They read the book. And then from that book, you ask them to talk about which one of the 10 principles that stuck with them the most. I think that that would be so fascinating. Like, have you, have you run into like of the 10 Principle six is the one that most people like gravitate to anything like that. Yeah. The, 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 the second principle, and again, the principles aren't in any particular order. Right. You know, number one is not more important than number seven, but, and, 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 you know, I wrote all 10 of them and this resonates. What's the, one? What's the second one? The second one is this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. That, well, that's yes. That's the, the, your emotional brain. The emotional yeah. brain out outworks the thinking brain every single time. There's nothing we can do. Your emotional brain 
runs the show. And the best analogy I heard is the emotional brain is a bucking Bronco that the thinking brain sits on and does its best to control. I, I love that because we used to talk about that at, in hostage negotiation, kind of like a teeter totter or a seesaw, you know, that we would play on in the park when we were young, when we started negotiating with somebody their their emotional brain was way up in the air and their rational brain was way down on the ground. So you're not going to start talking. I mean, if they're yelling and screaming and all, you're not going to talk about putting a gun down and coming out and that kind of stuff. You've got to get that teeter totter to equilibrium and then get to where their rational brain is up in the air and their emotional brain is down on the ground. Because as you said, we make better decisions with our rational brain than we do with our emotional brain. Oh, dude, that's so that's, that's deep. And I forgot about the hostage negotiation thing too. Cause I, I read, uh, can you tell I like, like to read them kind of read a little bit. Me too. I, was, I love to read. I'm a big audio book guy because I spend okay. so much time in the car, but, um, I read, I did, um, never split the difference. Chris Voss. That dude. Did you ever study any of his stuff as a negotiator? We actually trained not with him, but with, uh, the FBI's hostage negotiation team. So we, we got to train with them. Um, just, amazing people and learned so much. I mean, we, we trained with a psychologist. We had a psychologist that would work with us and, and all our training was scenario based. We would just run through different scenarios and then we would debrief. And that's where you learn. You learn in the debrief, what went right, what went wrong. You know, and the psychologist might say, Hey, did you think that person might've been schizophrenic and off their medication? Jeez. Oh, no, that never entered my mind. Yeah. You know, so right. that's how you learn. That's how, you know, you, you deal with different kinds of people, whether they're psychotic or whether they're just mentally ill or whether they're depressed or whether they just had a fight with their mother. But so many times when we would do that, I mean, let's face it. If you're talking to me and your house is surrounded by the police, you're probably having the worst day of your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, this is going on the list of things that would suck. Yeah. yeah this is terrible. On that but list. Half the time we had no idea why we were there. Why did this guy barricade himself with a gun? What, what happened? And you would just have to pick a rabbit hole and go down it. And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. They, they gave us a formula when we started. And the formula was 738.55. And it had to do with how we communicate. 7% of how we communicate are the words that we use. 38% is the tone of voice that we use with those words. And then 55% of our message is communicated through our body language and our facial expressions. I would agree. So I, I, as negotiators, you know, I mean, if you got a gun and you're barricaded in the house, I'm not in the, you know, I'm not sitting on the sofa, you know, eating popcorn and talking to you. I'm blocks away. So I don't, I don't see you when I say something, kind of roll your eyes like, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he said that to me. But I didn't have any, I don't know why we're here. I got to pick a rabbit hole and go down and, and see where it takes us. Uh, yeah, folks, Chris Voss's book, Never Spoke. It's a great book. That will... If you're in any form of sales or negotiating, even if you're married and you're trying to figure out how to negotiate just to get like an extra 15 minutes, like your wife to let you watch what you want to watch, read that book. It, it changes everything. And we're getting close to closing the bar up here, folks. And this is brother. I mean, Terry. And, and again, folks, check out motivationalcheck.com. You can find Terry's book on there. You can the, the book title is Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading your uncommon and extraordinary life, you know, check that out. But, you know, I don't want to lose out on this is you also have your core value values, character, courage, and 
humility, um, which, you know, courage, acting with unyielding integrity, courage, unwavering spirit, even when faced with adversity and humility, the the quiet strength of serving. Now, I've kind of gotten this vibe and I'll stay with you. Tell me if I'm wrong. You sound like a fairly faithful man, Terry, you know. God, God is in your life. It's part of who you are. Same, same here. I'm a Methodist, but I still like. I don't. But nobody like that. But my pastor doesn't say anything. He just. Hey, I'm a Catholic. We we go with the you know sacramental wine. So come on, you know. Look, I, right, I got to tell it. I got to tell this. This is my favorite cat. I so I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic. I tell people as a Methodist, it's the Pepsi one of Catholic. All this <laughs> great flavor, just none of the guilt. Um, so, so I got to tell you my, I get into this real quick. I got to tell you my favorite Catholic joke. My favorite Catholic joke. So a guy lives his whole life by the Bible. Very, very faithful man. Lives his life by the Bible. Dies, gets to St. Peter and St. Peter says, hey, I got to put you somewhere. He goes, you're coming in, but I just got to figure out where you're going to go. He goes, okay, it's fine. So St. Peter walks him by and it's a super serene scene. Kids play in a little stream and everything. He goes, St. Peter, this is amazingly calm. I've never seen such a serene place. What is this? He goes, this is the Baptist. He goes, well, this is, this is pretty Im- impressive. He's like, but this is too calm for me. I'm like, a little too calm. So he walks him a little bit further and there's gets to this like church and there's hooting and hollering and they're singing and they're speaking in tongues and they're moving around. And he's like, it's super intense. He's like, St. Peter, what is this place? It's so intense. St. Peter says, this is a holiness church. He goes, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like, but it's a little too intense for me. He goes, I understand. So they're walking a little bit further and they get by this giant ivory wall as far as the eye can see. And St. Peter looks back at him and goes, shh. He's like, okay. So they quietly walk past the wall. They get on the other side and he goes, St. Peter, what was the deal with the wall? He goes, that's where the Catholics are. They don't know anybody else is here. <laughs> As good. a Catholic, this makes sense to us. We're like, nope, I get it. I got yeah. it. Yeah, that's good. I totally like get that. it. That's how we were raised. So, but back to what I was saying. So, so your core values feel very much the same to me as Jesus kind of told, told his apostles. Hey, you need to get out there and serve. You're going to you're going to face some some tough times. You're going to have to have some character to be able to tell folks like, "Hey, this this guy who you've never met who taught us all, this is what his matter of fact, he was the virgin born of a virgin woman and uh he came down here and died for your sins." Taking those same principles, you've applied those same core values into your day-to-day life. How did you translate one to the other, though? Well, when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I was told that I was it was a death sentence. I, I, this rare form of melanoma started on the bottom of my foot. And they're like, we don't we don't have anything to offer you. It, it, we can give you surgery. If it's somewhere it pops up somewhere, we can cut it out. We'll cut it out. Otherwise, you'll probably be dead in two years. And I thought, OK, but what you don't know and I get it. You're playing the odds. What you don't know is you don't know my heart. You don't know my mind and you don't know my soul. And you don't know that I want to see my kid graduate from high school. You don't want to, you don't know that I want to see my kid graduate from college and I want to walk her down the aisle. And I've done all that. And so what I decided to do was I have no control over when I live, when I, you know, when I die. But what I decided to do was turn a death sentence into a life sentence. Okay, you 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 say I'm gonna die. Okay, 
I, I might die in two years. I have no control over that. And worrying about it isn't going to extend my life by one minute. That's in the Bible somewhere. Said much more eloquently probably by St. Luke than me. But, but it was, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to live as much as I possibly can. And when I had my leg amputated, I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I am still being treated for. And about eight months after I, I had all this done, my oncologist showed me my CAT scan. And Sean, I don't, have, I don't have any medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you can certainly look at it and be like, that sure doesn't look like it belongs there. I don't look right there. That's not good at all. And I, I had these big tumors in my lungs that flew it all around the pleural spaces. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And I still remember, Sean, I can see his, I can see his body language. He put his head down. He shook his head no. And then he looked up at me and he said, I don't know because you shouldn't have been which said to me, God's not done with me yet. When I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade, spend more time trying to live my purpose right now and less time worrying about when I die. Because when that happens, it's just going to be my time to go. And I'm good with that. I went with my wife when I found out I had all this crap going on lately. I planned my funeral. You know, went to the mortuary, cemetery, church, planned the funeral. I die. One phone call, one stop shopping. We're out of here. No problem. So... (laughs) But you knew, you know, what's so great about that is, and I mean, like, hey, man, so great that when you die. But you know what? You've, again, you've taken that pain point and you told your family, I'm not going to leave this for you to figure out. I got this. Yeah. This is my responsibility. I, I think that's, that's, a, a ma- Terry, you are, and again, folks, if you're not watching the live, Go grab this off of YouTube or or LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that and, and check Terry out. He's one of the happiest, smiling dudes I've seen in a long time. Just got a good, positive attitude. Ain't, when I ask these questions, it's not like I don't see this grimace on his face like, well, I've got cancer and I'm going down. It's nothing like that. You're like, ah, bro, it's 11 and a half years. They told me I had two. I'm working with somebody. I'm playing with house money at this point. Exactly. Bro, that's so awesome. You're playing with house money, and it's like, I'm good. That is so awesome. I mean, now, do you have any, and I, I'll i throw this out there, any speaking engagements, anything where like webinars, anywhere where people could see you? I, I, you can go to motivationalcheck.com, uh, and, and you can, I, there's a couple speeches that I've done that I've got up there. I also put up all the podcasts that I've been been on, and that's been well over 600 now all around the world. So I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, and, you know, I, as people reach out to me, it's just, hey, would you like to speak at my group? And I'm, I'm limited because literally I, I probably need the Marine Corps, the Army logistics group to help me when I when I go somewhere to speak because I, you know, I have a wheelchair, I have a walker, I have, you know, prosthetic, I have all this crap, you know, and, and my wife has to do that. She's She's my body man, you know. She takes care of me and makes sure I'm I'm good and and that and and that. So yeah, I mean, I've spoken to to groups kind of locally, uh, but it's hard for me to travel. So I do more virtual stuff now. But I, I just I love just talking with people, not at people. You know, I love their stories as much as they I think enjoy hearing mine as well. Brother, it's absolutely you have an absolutely incredible story, incredible attitude. I love all of your principles. I love your core values, you know, everything you've got going on here, but I'm going to tell you your four truths to me just hit home. 
I love your four truths. To me, uh, you know, if if anybody can can go go on to motivationalcheck.com, check out those four truths. If you can't if you can't figure out how those need to fit in everybody's lives, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, and for me, like I said, the strongest hitting one is very similar to your second principle. It's that pain point. Yeah. How are you treating? Like, do you push through the pain point? Or do you just fold to it? Absolutely amazing. Look, folks, I say this every week and I'll say it again. If you're finding Terry through me or me through Terry, take a moment on our social medias. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us a share. It may sound cliche, as I say every time, but this is how Terry's word gets out there. This is how. Listen, I've always believed this. Immortality is how long people remember you for. That is true immortality. So you talking and finding out what Terry's got going on, finding out what I got going on, giving us those likes and follows and share going on to fit to Apple and giving a five star Spotify and giving a five star. That's how our stories get further. That's how we find out about each other. So take a moment, see what we got going on. Go check out motivationalcheck.com. See what Terry's got going on. If you've got that sticker for sticker and a cause again, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or not Twitter X, uh, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, it's all the above the bar podcast. We are doing a special show this Saturday. I don't normally do Saturday shows, but a good friend of ours, Laura Pete, who introduced us to the folks at uh, Quincy, who is out of New York City. Uh, they make pre-mixed cocktails, but malt. Quincy people are amazing. Uh, and they're out of Queens, hence the name Quincy. Queensy. Q-N-Q-N-S or Q-S-N-Y, Queensy. But She's got us hooked up with the folks from Filmland Spirits. They are a small batch uh, company. They make bourbon and they make a rye. And if you know me, you know I like rye whiskey. But all of their stuff is mo- is like 50s movie themed. Like this is one of the bottles. And they even, for the characters on the front, they have their whole story of the characters and a QR code. So listen, folks, we're going to be going live Saturday 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you check out Filmland Spirits beforehand. You'll be able to talk to the founder and owner and the master distiller. Listen, if you've never talked to a master distiller, everybody knows I don't like to get too far into the weeds, but those dudes are straight scientists, master distillers. So make sure you join us on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch, X. We'll be on all those kind of things. Now, Terry, this is like episode 206 or 207. I always get them mixed up and don't log off on me afterwards. We got to talk for just a moment. Um, at the end of every episode, we have the same question gets asked. So I know you've binged all of them, all 200 and some. You just sat down and just so absolutely it. did. Yes. With some popcorn and yeah, I'm good. That's it. Uh, and I know Roberta was right there with us. She was like, she was totally. I'm on this. So the same question we ask at the end of every episode is what's your final word? So you get the final word, brother. Let me let me let me tell you a story, if I may. Um, so when I was young, I loved westerns. My mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch Gunsmoke and Bonanza, and my favorite was Wild Wild West. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You probably saw it. Huge blockbuster. Starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now Doc Holliday was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. 
And Wyatt Earp had been some form of a lawman his entire life. And somehow these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds form this incredibly close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost last scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get out there and live yours. Sean, you and I know people that are probably listening to us that are sitting out there and says, yeah, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When this occurs, I'll have a successful life. When this transpires, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave your listeners with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been a Second Front Podcast presentation found on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. 